Oh, screw it. Would somebody please just get me the hell out of 2020? It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio, I'm David Leventhal, and Happy New Year, everybody. On today's show, we will say a fond fuck you to 2020, and we will review the year quickly and have the latest on the two plagues that confronted us throughout 2020. Let's get right into it. 2020, the year in review. And how do we boil down a year into its essence? Hmm. 2020, it sucked. Basically, it sucked. That's our review of 2020. All right, not quite. We're going to go a little bit longer than that, but not that much longer. There's not really a whole lot to add. 2020, in a sense, could be summed up in two words. Those words, of course, being COVID and... Trumpism. And Trumpism, important. Not Trump. Trumpism. Because we always need to be reminded that this disease is widespread and it is not going away anytime soon. Trump may or may not be going away. But Trumpism, the the real disease that we suffered through along with COVID this year, is going no place. There's really nothing else to report basically about 2020. It is a remarkable year that the entire year has been usurped by these two plagues, these twin plagues that have been confronting America and the world, COVID and Trumpism. Basically, nothing else gets on the radar screen, perhaps unless you're a sports fan in Tampa. Pretty good year for sports in Tampa for some reason. I don't know what the hell that's all about. But other than that, there's just not much that makes it onto the radar screen. It was all COVID, all Trumpism, all the time. And in that sense, and many others, good riddance to 2020. It it will be wonderful to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. This This will be a more fraught New Year's for some of us, or by the time you're listening to this, has been a more fraught New Year's for many of you. Uh, then, then not I would say the norm, but then ever in my experience. On the other hand, we will be saying hello to 2021. And we will be saying hello to 2021 with a certain amount of optimism, maybe more of a cri de coeur, a cry for help, so to speak. Um, will 2021 be better than 2020? That's the question we enter 2021 with. And, well, I don't want to dampen the New Year's spirit. So let's let's start out with some positives, what we're looking forward to in 2020. Well, I guess 2020, in some respects, went out fairly well. Uh, we had an election. Uh, we're, we're actually still having an election. So, so much for what should have been really good about a about pretty much a landslide victory for Joe Biden in November, December, January, maybe, of 2021. Uh, Not the kind of landslide we needed to see, wanted to see, hoped to see. Nonetheless, we had an election that promises a new beginning for 2021. We saw throughout the year promise 
of decent people rising up. Yes, decent people had plenty of cause to rise up because we kept being reminded about how many indecent people there are in this country and the world. But let's not lose sight of the fact that a lot of decent people rose up this year. There were continuing battles for civil rights, for justice, uh, uh, pro-justice movements, uh, prisoners' rights movements. Uh, The Black Lives Matter movement just grew beyond anyone's expectations from when 2020 was just coming in. Just... uh, just in the news in the last few hours, um, the Louisville, uh, Louis, the Louisville Police Department is about to fire two more detectives in the killing, the murder in effect, in effect of Breonna Taylor. Now that brings the total number to three, and certainly it's a start, it's improvement. We are reminded, as as we always are and throughout the year, that black people are still getting murdered by white people in America, frequently cops, but not always. And uh, there is still too often impunity for that. But we're seeing in some cases there's a movement to make sure that there is at least some kind of punishment. The terms of these potential firings I have not seen yet. Uh Presumably, they will be getting all kinds of severance benefits, their pensions, and all that other crap that they shouldn't, that, that normal criminals would not get. But it's it's still a step in the right direction. We showed promise, maybe because of of the the twin plagues that we were dealing with, especially COVID. In this case, we showed showed promise in in Americans ending the war on government that we've been engaged in for almost the entirety of my lifetime. This, this battle against the whole notion of the United States government, there has been more movement away from that than has been, I, th- I think, the case in my lifetime. More people in America who don't find socialism to necessarily be a dirty word. There is no greater statement of what the Republican Party has been about for the last half a century than war on government. Misguided thoughtless, awful for most Americans and most people of the world, as many of us are now beginning to understand. Of course, we've still got the twin plagues, and we would like to think that 2021 ushers in the ending of these two plagues, but that's looking more and more like wishful thinking. Trump may or may not be going away. God knows what's in his future over the next months, years, etc. But it's hard to imagine Trumpism is going anywhere as it just continues to double down on its insanity at the end of the year. And of course, COVID, well, we'll have more on COVID, but uh, I guess we have hopes that 2021 will basically see us finally getting a handle on COVID, though that too hasn't been exactly going great the last the last week or so, and more on that in another moment. Um, it is somehow appropriate as we ring in the new year and hope to ring out the Trump plague, at least. It is appropriate that this week, the European Union and the United Kingdom finally reached a deal on Brexit. I, I think the timing here is just r- remarkably noteworthy. Our Many of you will recall, certainly our uh, loyal listeners will recall, that 
it was the Brexit vote in the United Kingdom that was the first harbinger of what was to come in America with Trumpism. That was that was the, the British version of Trump, the first British version of Trump, I guess. They've got another one there now. But the first British version of Trump was that there was something on the ballot that was considered insane by all reasonable thinking people, was designed to to incite the masses and was fueled by a ridiculous propaganda campaign of lies. In other words, it was, again, their, their Trumpism. And when Brexit somehow passed and nobody thought there was a chance that that was going to happen, all of a sudden people in America started saying, holy shit, is there a chance that Donald Trump could get elected in America? Nah, not that crazy. But in that sense, the, the Brexit vote in the UK sort of ushered in, in many respects, the Trump era even in America. So what does it mean now that they're moving forward and they may have accomplished the Brexit? Is that somehow the the bookend, the end, it fits that the Trump era is ending in America? Or more ominously, is it another omen that maybe we're not through this yet, that this thing is still going on and they're still making Brexit work and maybe we're not rid of Trumpism by a very long way. But... Let's get into the substance of the week. The That's the end of our recap of 2020. It's about as, as much as I've gotten, as much as I can add there. But the, the first part, the most recent part anyway, that we've been talking about with the Trump plague is the Trump lawlessness plague. The, the absolute lawlessness that this criminal clown, this narcissistic, disgusting disgrace for a human being has brought upon this country and the world. And that brings us, of course, to the latest in the Trump pardons, where he's been finding other of the most disgraceful, disgusting human beings on the planet, people who obviously remind him of himself, and giving them immunity from the law, basically. And the the latest big story this week is Philip Esformes. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. doesn't matter. It's the only time I'm going to use it. The, I'll use his moniker, the king of Medicare fraud. The king of Medicare fraud. That's that's what the guy went by. I, you know, it's saying something when your moniker is king of Medicare fraud. To give you an idea what that's saying, the guy got sentenced to 20 years in prison. And this is a guy who was rich. Rich people don't go to prison, let alone get 20 years. That's really a sign of how unbelievably criminal this guy was. How criminal? An estimated $1.3 billion worth of fraudulent claims. $1.3 billion with a B. How do you even put through that many fraudulent claims? $1.3 billion. It is unimaginable of made up claims. On the bright side, I guess, many people, or should I say co-conspirators, must have been employed by this guy just making up $1.3 billion worth of fraudulent claims. Another bright side, the king of Medicare fraud served a whole year of his 20-year sentence before he was pardoned by the President of the United States, who, as I keep pointing out, thinks rich criminals are the good guys. 
Anyway, this guy was a nursing home operator. Really good. With with a $1.6 million Ferrari. A, I'll, I'll go through the litany. A, a $1.6 million Ferrari, a $360,000 watch, and apparently tooled around on a private jet. Let, let's start with this. I don't want to get distracted here. But a $1.6 million car? If, if a $360,000 watch? How is it possible that there is such a thing? And how is it possible that there are people who can afford to buy this? Uh, even with stolen money. This is just absurd. The, I, I, I want to move on to, to the king of Medicare fraud. But I'm stopping here with the idea that people have a $1.6 million Ferrari and a $360,000 watch while a large segment of this planet is starving. This is just so effed up, it is beyond imagination. What it says, the fact that this could fly by, the fact that for years this guy could drive around, this guy who was a nursing home operator, supposedly taking care of old people, and was enriching himself to the tune of $1.6 million, $2 million worth of car and watch. We're not even getting into the jet yet. This is unbelievable. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the, the, the saying, was it Eugene Debs, uh, who defined riches, or maybe it was Ambrose Bierce, defined riches as the savings of many in the hands of one. In other words, America. That's what America is all about. The savings of many in the hands of one. That these people in a nursing home, whatever the hell they're paying and whatever services they're getting, if the guy running the nursing homes can have $2 million worth of car and watches, just one car and one watch, I'm sure he had many more millions of dollars worth of... I'm sorry, but that's just, that's insane. That's crazy. Anyway, this guy got part. The craziness only begins there. This guy got a pardon from the criminal-in-chief, in large part because he was backed by an Orthodox Jewish group to which, wait for it, he gave money. He gave money in return for them lobbying to get this major criminal who was enriching himself at the lives of elderly people and the American public at large that they're get, trying to get this guy a pardon because he gave them money. What a statement about America and society and, frankly, religion. This is the Aleph Institute, named, if I remember my Hebrew studies well, after the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which supports, to their credit, criminal justice reform and prisoners' rights. Well... I guess we've gotten an inkling of what it means to support criminal justice reform and prisoners' rights. I guess it may be about the uh, reform for criminals and prisoners who can afford to pay the elephants to a whole lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars, to get them to lobby on behalf of this guy for pardon. I am reminded once again how much I should give thanks to the fact that the Hitler family does not have a lot of money. For instance, his family's name, uh, Mr. Esformis, I don't think it's King of Medicare fraud, I think it's the regular family name, adorns a school in Chicago 
associated with the Chabad Lubavitch group of Hasidic Jews. How exciting would it be if those kids, if those young Jewish boys, I'm guessing, but maybe boys and girls, in the Chicago area got to go to the Hitler School of Jewish Studies because Hitler gave money. Gosh, it's a darn shame the guy may have died penniless. Anyway, going back to the whole religion thing, um, wasn't the idea of not worshiping mammon, money, wasn't that supposed to be like the one good thing about religion? That it was about worshiping something other than the almighty dollar or shekel or whatever the hell you're worshiping? But no, now with religion, you still got the greed, you still got the evil, you just got the crazy too thrown in right on top of that too. Anyway, in criminal justice this week, it wasn't just the the the, the Medicare fraud king. Um, Lori Laughlin, actress Lori Laughlin, was released from jail this week. Uh, for those of you who don't recognize the name or why this is, this is important, she was caught up in the scandal of fraud to get her children into probably elite colleges or less than elite colleges, to give you an idea of what some of these children must be like. But she actually went to jail for the extent of her fraud in getting her already privileged children or child into a college that he or she couldn't earn his or her way into, even with a famous last name. One has to wonder, she's out of jail, but she still has the stigma of being a criminal. Can a pardon be far behind for her and all those other people who were lying and cheating to get their kids into a college they didn't belong to? Here's got to be some other kindred spirits with Donald Trump. And finally, of course, on the Trump pardoning himself front, which naturally, of course, flows from all these discussions about evildoers getting pardons. Uh, the news this week that Trump's banker at Deutsche Bank quit, stepped down from, from I think it was her position in Deutsche Bank. We've talked before about Trump's relationship and what that might mean and how there were investigations ongoing about Deutsche Bank and probably involving money laundering. Well, they've been caught up in money laundering and how some of that may have touched upon Trump. But now we're reading about it is possible, there is speculation, that this sudden resignation could be related to two internal investigations involving the relationships with the, from the, between the bank and Donald Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Maybe, just maybe, had something to do with internal investigations, which you can be absolutely certain are only being conducted at threat of greater uh, legal action by governments against the bank. But the bank is be obviously being forced to do an internal investigation, and maybe, just maybe, they're finding out. It's hard to imagine. Trump and Kushner might have something something to hide with with respect to Deutsche Bank, but who knows? Could it be related to lots of money laundering probes that are going on at Deutsche Bank? How much involvement that bank seems to have had in money laundering? And we've been talking about in the show the speculation that the reason that Donald Trump was able to get loans from this bank when nobody else would touch him because of his history of defaulting on loans was maybe because he was helping the bank to launder millions and millions or maybe more than that of criminal dollars. So 
looks like that Trump pardon of himself is going to be, I was going to say more likely than before, but I think it was pretty damn likely before anyway. Anyway, that brings us to our second, the second plague that we've been dealing with uh, throughout 2020. And that, of course, is COVID. The latest numbers in the United States, we've just about reached the 20 million mark of number of Americans who have been infected, who have got come down with COVID. We have surpassed the 341,000 dead mark. And if you remember just a few days ago on this show, when I was commenting about how quickly we had passed 300,000 when it seemed only days before that I was looking at a quarter of a million. Yeah, it just, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So almost 20 million have come down with the virus. Uh, more than 341,000 have died at this point in the United States. Or in Russian, I will give you those numbers in Russian, that would be 6 million have contracted the virus and about 55,000 uh, or, or 100 and something thousand, 110,000 who have actually died of it. Now, why do I say this? Because it turns out that apparently the death toll in Russia is three times what the official reports have been stating. Now, who gives a shit about Russia? I mean, yes, they're our parent company, but still. Well, you know that the president of the United States is incredibly aggravated by this news that Russia was reducing its death toll by more than a third. Where the president of the United States is going, see, this is what I tried to do and I got shit for it. This is this is how this is this was my plan. Maybe it wasn't Trump's plan. Maybe he was just implementing Putin's plan in America, which would kind of sum up the rest of the Donald Trump presidency when you get right down to it. But anyway, the news on COVID has generally been unre- unrelentingly bad. Uh, we have our, I don't know if this fits in the category. I'm not, again, I'm not shedding crocodile tears. Uh, we had our first congressman elect die of COVID, Luke Letlow. 41 years of age, a, not surprisingly, Republican congressman-elect died before he was able to take office COVID. Now, I don't know if Mr. Letlow was a COVID denier, but he did secure office as a Republican. So it's a pretty damn safe bet at this point that this is actually a rare example of some justice occurring here. Uh, We are continuing to learn about extended complications and recurrences of COVID. Uh, We are finding out that people, in many cases, keep getting readmitted to the hospital months after seeming to have beaten it before. Uh, So basically recurring, at least through the symptoms, some some of the awful problems that are getting them hospitalized. We are learning about more complications that might extend a lot further in your life, even after you seem to have rid yourself of the virus. In other words, we keep being reminded of how much there is to be afraid of the virus, at least if we're not a Trump supporter. We are also, again, as I reported last week, we are now absolutely seeing the new virulent strain it is in the United States, the one that was first identified in Great Britain, but we have seen in France, Japan, South Korea, and now at the very least, Colorado and California, and probably a lot more. It has been found in America among people who have not been traveling, which seems to indicate 
that it is actually flourishing here and we just don't know the extent yet. We continue to learn what it's like in America to confront a national emergency without a national government. And apropos of my conversation before about learning the lessons from 2020 and maybe one of those lessons being that government sometimes is a pretty damn good thing. Well, we continue to learn the lessons during the Trump era of what it's like not to have a national government when it comes to COVID. Trump continues to rack up huge numbers in his entry of who has killed the most Americans of all time. In our continuing contest, which I think at this point Donald Trump has won hands down, it being said at this point that probably a couple hundred thousand American dead because of COVID can be laid directly at his feet. If only we actually could lay the bodies directly at his feet. The latest in our government's abdication of its responsibility, vaccinations. The thing that gives us hope as we go into a new year, well, that hope is going to be put off for a little while, hopefully not indefinitely, as we are currently being described as far behind in our vaccination schedule. To give you an idea, Trump had hoped, the expectation was, that we would be that we would have vaccinated 20 million people by the end of the year. The time I'm recording this, we've got a couple hours to go before the end of the year. We are currently at about 3 million out of the 20 million that we were hoping for. Operation Warp Speed doesn't necessarily seem to be going at Operation Warp Speed. 3 million of the 20 million or so. It's so bad as far as our ability to distribute this that we may in fact end up having to throw precious doses of the vaccine away. We've avoided to some extent throwing, apparently, throwing doses of the vaccine away because they've just been giving vaccines that are going to go bad to whoever happens to be walking by at the moment, not necessarily the people who are supposed to be getting them. Who's supposed to be getting them? Well, at this point in time, 8% of those vaccines that were put aside and given to nursing homes to administer to their patients, the first wave of vaccinations, 8% of those vaccines that had been distributed have actually been administered. We are hearing about the lack of resources that we need to administer a life-saving vaccine to head off a deadly global pandemic. And the only thing you could say to this is, are you fucking kidding me? Lack of resources? Gosh, who could have seen this coming? I can see the president now going, oh, vaccines are complicated. Who knew? Okay, that wasn't even my Trump invitation. I don't even know what the hell that was. But lack of resources? 10, 11 months into, into a COVID pandemic? where we knew that the, the only vaccines could get us out of this and we worked at, at warp speed to develop vaccines, we don't. We haven't developed the resources to administer it? This is criminally negligent and by the President of the United States and, and really nobody else. It, it, the, the buck lands at the feet of the President of the United States. Again, coming back to the idea that lack of government to deal with this, that we have so 
denuded our government that we cannot administer a life-saving vaccine when we need it? Do you remember back a few years ago to some of my older listeners? Do you remember when government's inability to roll out a website without it crashing for several hours or several days, I don't remember how long it was, when Obamacare was being rolled out and the website crashed? Do you remember when that was a huge scandal? Do you remember when that was the worst thing that government could do about not being adequately resourced and not adequately planning things? When a website didn't work for a few hours? Well, if Biden ever gets to be president, we'll go there again, where again, some minor little thing will become huge. And meanwhile, the president leaving this country unprepared to to give out vaccines and thus resulting in the death undoubtedly of additional tens of thousands of Americans. Let's just stack that up against it right now, because that is what we are dealing with. The president has just completely and utterly abdicated his responsibility again i realize it's four years of abdicating his responsibility but in this case deaths are the obvious the the obvious result of that abdication of responsibility we're now hearing donald trump blame it on state and local governments we are, we are reading about how overstretched state and local governments are to try to deal with this. Gee, who could have seen that one coming other than the people who've been trying to give aid to state and local governments for months, despite Republican, not able to do it because of Republican opposition and Trump opposition. Uh, this is the kind of thing that requires a federal government. Remember our conversation about states' rights? Yeah, this isn't one of those times for states' rights. This is when the federal government needed to be all over this. It turns out Operation Warp Speed, nice, handy name, anything that goes on a bumper sticker is good in GOP politics, is really just going part of the way. Operation Warp Speed just gets us part of the way. It's kind of like when... JFK, President Kennedy, had called on Americans, had announced our goal to get Americans to the moon and back by the end of the decade. Remember that? Very famous. You've all seen the, the videos of it. I promised to get a man safely to the moon and back before the end of the century. Imagine if JFK had said, I promised to get us halfway to the moon and back. Halfway. That's all. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just in for halfway. The states could deal with the, the rest of the half. Somebody else. I am washing my hands. In fact, why don't we call Operation Warp Speed what it really is? Operation Washing My Hands of This. Or how about Operation Passing the Buck? Or at this point, how about Operation Finger Pointing? Like the rest of the Trump administration where the, the incompetent, criminally incompetent President of the United States is blaming it on the states, is blaming it on localities. Uh, we're still seeing now other problems with the vaccine. Healthcare workers continue to cut the line, apparently, in some cases. People who know people are managing to cut the line. In other words, you know, capitalism, the way things, the way things tend to work in a, in a society that is not adequately ruled by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But at this point, jumping ahead of the line seems about the least of our problems. And that gets us, before we go, of course, to the state of COVID relief and the COVID relief bill. And here's some, some good news to head into the new year with. The COVID relief bill was finally 
signed by the President of the United States, who ended his presidential hissy fit in order to sign the COVID relief relief bill. Now, he did it after unemployment benefits had been allowed to lapse, going to create all kinds of problems to get that restarted, and it's going to create all kinds of problems for actual human beings who are going to have to suffer through this. But it, you know, wasn't that important. The president was throwing a hissy fit, which accomplished what exactly? Like, what was the point of his hissy fit? Apparently, like, nothing. So we got this $900 billion COVID relief bill. And yes, the $900 billion is basically a drop in the bucket compared to what we need. But $900 billion is still, is still a drop. It's still something in the bucket. So... As that bill goes through, we are still pondering, and I'll get in a moment, I'll discuss the what, what the bill has in it and what we could take heart in. But we are still on the edge of our seats regarding the fate of the $2,000 stimulus checks. And the $2,000 stimulus checks that, remember, Donald Trump had said, instead of $600 per person, I want $2,000 for people. Democrats in Congress perfectly willing to say, great, we'll go for that. Sure, let's go, $2,000. Go to the Senate. Go on, Senate. Pass it. $2,000. There you go. We got it. President's going to sign it. Congress passed it. We're good. That put Moscow Mitch and all the Republican Party in a tremendous bind, which I was enjoying last week, and I've since been enjoying throughout the week. They're in a very difficult position because they need to defeat this bill. They're not going to give $2,000 stimulus checks. It is just completely something that the Republicans will not want to do. A lot of that money will end up going to normal humans. Um, they're not going to defeat that without defeating the, the Republican Party that cannot vote to defeat this bill. So the bill must be defeated without it actually being defeated so that they protect GOP senators and GOP congressmen from their vote against this. It is normal Republican practice to sweep these bills under the rug. That's what control of the Senate means. Everything that they don't like, everything the House passes, just gets swept under the rug so Republicans never have to go on record as opposing things that America greatly needs. But this this bill is too high profile at this point to be swept under the rug right now. Certainly before January 5th, when the devil goes down to Georgia, and so does everybody else, to watch what happens in two runoff senatorial elections. So... The next thing that the Republicans had to go on, I've been arguing this for a while, is they're going to have to figure out a poison pill to put into the bill to say, okay, we're going to pass the $2,000, but as long as we're going to do that, we also want to add some other important things that we need to do. Things that are so absurd that there's no way the Democrats could vote for it so that Republicans would get cover for defeating the bill. That's what's going on right now. Republicans are looking for a way to defeat the bill without being seen to defeat the bill and vote against the $2,000 that Americans actually want. They've come up to give them their due. They are sometimes pretty good at scheming. I was talking with some people the other day. What are they going to do? What can they put in the bill? Well, they found something pretty good, which is cover for Donald Trump's election fraud bullshit. They're gonna, they say, we're going to have this in the bill. We want to protect election integrity, protect against voter fraud. There's going to be all this language in the bill and all this money to basically support Donald Trump and the Republican Party's bogus, completely made-up, bullshit claims of voter fraud. This is something that the the Democrats are going to have a problem with. So more will be on that, but the Republicans have to figure out how the hell to not give people this money before the end of the year. As I pointed out last week, the only thing funnier than, than watching the Republicans stuck in this crappy position is that it may be the rare thing in my life that Mitch McConnell is sort of right about.
As I pointed out last week, people who don't need it shouldn't be getting $2,000. Now, what Mitch McConnell is not, of course, right about and is fundamentally wrong about, as he always is, is that we still should be adding money to the bill. It should just be adding money to the people who need it. We should be increasing the unemployment benefits. We should be increasing the child care benefits. We should be increasing benefits for people who need the money who've been really hurt by COVID, not just giving it out to everybody and basically trying to buy votes that way. Of course, as I pointed out, Moscow Mitch is fundamentally more than anything against that, the idea of giving money to people who need it. So what's in the bill that is now law in America? Um, Again, good news is a lot of the bill, most of the bill, in fact, is irking Republicans by actually giving uh, some money to actual human beings. Instead of the, compare it to the more than $1 trillion that billionaires have been enriched just during the COVID crisis. Compare that to the $2 trillion GOP tax cut, the vast majority of which went to the ultra-rich in this country. Well, here we've got something less than a trillion dollars. Much of it, to the consternation of Republicans, is actually going to human beings. And where's it going to human beings? Well, quick quick summary of where it's going. There's $13 billion to feed, to SNAP, to feed poor kids. Yes, it's true. That's less than 1% of what Republicans over the last couple of years have doled out to billionaires. But it's still something, $13 billion for for starving kids, okay? $25 billion for rental assistance. That's more than 1% of what what Republicans have doled out to billionaires. And that's really got to be irking them. But maybe some Americans who aren't rich will be able to stay in their homes for a little while. They have extended unemployment benefits, if we've been talking about for a long time, $300 for a whopping 13 weeks before we will have to address this again, uh, hopefully with a Democratic Senate. Uh, $82 billion will be spent for education. And uh, if that whole $82 billion were going to the city university where I work, uh, that might actually be a good start um, for how absolutely destitute the city university system is. But $82 billion, it's a start. Add a couple zeros to that, and we'd, we'd really be rolling here on getting American education system up to that of, of the third world. Um, $7 billion for broadband access. I kind of like that one since, you know, during COVID, we've really been stratified in this country between those of us who have broadband access and those of us who either can't afford broadband access, live in places without access to broadband access, or who only can get optimum. But... $7 billion seems like a pretty paltry amount. Maybe if you add a zero or two to that, we could catch up to even countries like South Korea when it comes to broadband access and speed. But, you know, it's, it's a step in the direction of getting America uh, out of the third world and into the first world. Uh, let's see. We've got $284 billion or so for small for PPP loans for small businesses. There's a bunch of quote-unquote, you can't see me, I'm using air quotes right now, help for small businesses. Hopefully they'll get this sorted out a little bit so that uh, small businesses will actually get more of this money and not well-connected larger businesses, as was too much the case of the last time. Apropos of our conversation before, there's $68 billion for vaccines, state tests, and for making the vaccine free for Americans. So 
we don't have an excuse not to get it. Of course, it seems to only include about $8 billion for vaccine distribution, which, as I talked about earlier, is already looking pretty damn paltry at this point. And in a real bit of good news, unallayed good news, ending surprise medical billing, as we have talked about, the idea that you could suddenly get, you could be in the hospital for some very serious condition and some doctor who was out of network passed by your, your, your room, looked in, said, how's it going? Walked out and then billed you $20,000, not covered by your insurance. So there's real positive and a sign, gee, when government actually can work, it would it could be so wonderful for America as we head into 2021. Uh, so it's it's not total waste by uh, only giving the money to those in need from the Republican perspective. I do want to point out that business meals, thank God, will be tax deductible. We'll increase the tax deductibility of business meals because during the coronavirus pandemic, with the, with these tens of thousands of deaths that we're dealing with, thank God people can go out and get other people to pay for their lunches again, including their martinis and drinks and whatever else their lunches uh, consist of. The cost of this is currently unknown, at least by me, but let's pray that we will be spent, and we can expect, let's pray, but this is a prayer we can expect to come true, that this provision will end up costing more money than the amount of money that we're throwing away on hungry kids, on poor kids. Hungry, wealthy business people, that's what really should motivate us. Anyway, last thoughts. The bill gives $14 billion to mass transit. And that's a good thing, uh, except when one puts it in the context of the $32 billion that mass transit has been lobbying for, it being less than half what they've been lobbying for. Uh, that $14 billion does include an additional $1 billion to Amtrak so that we can keep our train system functioning at third world efficiencies. Uh, forget the idea of having a train system that might be in place in much of the rest of the world, one that's actually functional, functional as with most of our mass transit system. Um, we've been reading for the last few weeks about how our response about how public transit is in serious trouble in this country. Public transit is in serious trouble. And what a way to end the show and end the discussion about 2020 and the year that we're, that we're passing. We're talking about how unbelievable backward thinking it is to let public transit languish. We are moving in exactly the wrong direction. A civilized nation should be quadrupling, quintupling, more than that. I've septupling, I'm, I'm running out of, of uh, Latin prefixes. We should be greatly increasing the amount of money that we are spending on mass transit because it is what we and the world need right now. When this article was first being mentioned about mass transit, I, I had a discussion in class how many of you think it would be good if we basically were able to get cars out of New York City? If Manhattan, if we could turn it into pedestrian hubs, places where... And every th everyone thought it was a great idea. The problem is, of course, that it would require mass transit in order to do that. Of course, 
I mean, I'm getting crazy here. I, I teach at a school in New York City. So when I ask my students about climate change, you know, mass transit being also part of the plan to address climate change, they think climate change is real. So there you go. But it's the new year. So to hell with all this negativity, at least for another week until I see you again. Until then, hope springs eternal. Happy New Year, everybody. May 2021 be better than 2020. May you be safe and well, and see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 